Welcome to the Strong Talk Podcast with Tom Rini and myself, Pete Nelson. The aim of the podcast is to share our candid and uncensored conversations on all things fitness, health, business, and leadership. Through these conversations, we hope you take away a couple things to enhance your life and simply be better. Welcome to the talk. Nice shot, Tom. We could talk about ice baths. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear about ice baths. <laughs> They're cold. <laughs> They're cold, and uh, like the first forty-five seconds, you wonder why you're doing it. It's amazing. Well, the no, range. the first forty-five seconds, you just want to get the hell out. You're yeah, not it's amazing. About why like you're the range it. of thoughts that you can go through, like in three minutes in an ice tub. You feel like your ankles are gonna fall off, dude. Your toes hurt. Yep. Your everything tingles. Then you think you're gonna black out. Uh, and I'm an idiot because, and I mean, they're not super cold, but um, like the first thing I do now when I get in is I go all the way under. Yeah, you have to. You have so to fully commit. I, I plug my nose and I dunk my head under, and then I come out. And that's actually, I find that's better Agreed. than just going into my neck and like stopping there. I agree. <laughs> go all the way under. Then you have that big, <gasps> where you try and catch your breath, and then you settle in. Are you one of those guys that you have to, once you go all the way in, do you keep your arms out? No, I put my Are hands you, in. Yeah, everything. I, I go I, all the way to my neck. I feel like with, uh, through the course of my younger days and playing a bunch of stupid sports, um, I've broken all of my uh, phalanges, nice. broken all of my fingers uh, at some point. So I feel like I'm pretty arthritic in my hands, especially when they get cold outside. Like it's weird. Uh, and it's weird. I noticed this when I tailgate. Uh, in the winter months or as it gets a little bit Everything colder hurts. outside. Well, no, but like when I go to grab a can of beer and I'm drinking it, like my hands are stiff because yeah. of the cold weather and everything. So I feel like in my mind that if I keep my hands underneath the water as well, um, and it's uh, that it, you know, helps my arthritis in my fingers a little bit more. But interestingly enough, I was just listening to a podcast about like uh, temperature and like how you can create uh, different responses in the body by by what you do with your temperature response like if you get too hot or you get too cold but one of the things they were talking about how ironically enough that if you like put your hands in an ice bath before you like go after one rep max or like a high intensity type of deal it can increase performance so um which is it, I, is it the blood flow like the vasoconstriction i'm not I, I, i'm not that deep into it they just sort of started talking about it but some some stanford researchers like because like they were talking about uh the olympic trials and how when the olympic trial i think they were in oregon uh and it was super hot and super humid you'd see all these athletes putting water on the back of their neck and on their head but what he was saying was that um that'll cool down like blood flow into the brain but you're still overheating like internally in your organs and stuff like that. So he's like, you're not really doing anything. And worst case, you can actually overheat because your brain thinks you're cool, but your body's not. Uh, so, and it's interesting enough, 20 years ago when I was at the International Performance Institute down in Bradenton at IMG, like we used to, if we had a double session, like we were doing like speed work uh, in the dome and then we were going to the weight room, they actually had ice, like ice tubs that you would put your bare feet in. 
and you would put your bare feet in for 30 seconds and then and then you would dry them off and then you'd go start your strength session and it would kind of reinvigorate you but the idea is is that you have all these nerve receptors and mechanoreceptors in your in your feet so that would be overheated and if you would cool that off then everything else would would, would work and i guess it makes sense like when you talk about like um you know, people do all of these different uh, biometrics, right, with whoop and aura and heart rate variability and nervous system excitability. But um, one of the, the most basic tests they've done for years for strength conditioning athletes, for collegiate athletes, when they go into train is they just do a grip test, right? Mm-hmm. And that grip tests have been shown to be as accurate as some of those real fancy things to to measure what your nervous system excitability is in terms of ready, your readiness to train. So I guess it makes sense when you talk about like grip strength and related to cooling your body down through your hands and your feet. Anyway, uh, yeah, so tying that all together, ice bass, tailgating, cold hands. And grip tests. And grip tests. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much all you need to be stronger. I love that. So, uh, But yeah, no, I put my hands under the ice bass. I love that. What about you? So I did not, I did not take a nice bath this morning, but, (laughs) but this morning, um, started up on the new, uh, the new training plan with Tom Reaney and we hit an awesome strength session this morning that included a five sets of four front squat, then a five by four bench press followed by a little triset, triset action of a safety bar split squat as heavy as we can, six, right, six left for four sets, supersetted with a dumbbell incline press for eight reps. Super setted oh, man. with a kettlebell gorilla row. Afterwards, we went with a glute ham raise, three sets of 10, super setted with a physio ball plank for 30 seconds. I felt wrecked, and I was thinking after <laughs> how nice it would be to have a sauna and a ice bath after, because I love the way my body feels. And after hearing you talk about your experience this morning with the ice bath, I would have totally got down after to have that. So here's here's the catch, though, the caveat, if you will. Uh, an ice bath post-strength is probably not ideal. Correct. Uh, sauna, yes. Ice bath, no. So Now, a contra- like a true contrast post isn't as bad as, I, I as, would as, agree. If, as if you were to do just, just ice. Now, like in a perfect world, in the literature is showing that later in the day, as, as it's a complete own session, would be a better... Um, a better time to be able to do an ice bath. Yeah, no, like, I, I agree with yeah. that. Um, but yeah, do you want, from, do you want to go into the? Do you want to go into the? I guess. I guess from under? yeah. I mean, I guess we can a little bit from a purely. So the ice bath has a tendency to to blunt uh, growth hormone, testosterone, some of the, some of the anabolic hormones that we want to capitalize on. You know, post training, especially post strength training. Um, so, you know, we want to create a stronger adaptation for that. So sauna definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the ice bath doesn't. Now, in terms of, you know, well, it, it's just going to limit. So when you do some heavy hardcore strength training like you did this morning, you're creating a lot of microtrauma, right? And when that microtrauma heals, we create adaptations. Adaptations means we're getting stronger. If we blunt that, and it's a whole response now, it's funny. Uh, that we're talking about this. Um, I, my son sprained his ankle playing basketball about two weeks ago. And he called me afterwards. He said, hey, Dad, I ro-, not sprained. it wasn't a sprain. He rolled his ankle. And uh, he called me right afterwards and, you know, what should I do? And, I, of course, I told him, don't ice it. Now, 
you know, in the world of exercise science and exercise physiology and athletic trainers and all this kind of stuff. And I see it at all the high school events that I'm at now with my children. There's a trainer there. He's got, he's got two uh, coolers. One's got water in it and one's got ice for bags of ice, right? So as soon as we have any type of acute injury, they, what's the protocol, right? We, ice. we wrap it in ice, Right, you do the whole um, rice method, rest ice, right? You know, right, elevation. which of course the the doctor who made that famous has now come back and refuted that. Right, I can't think of the, the guy's name, but he's actually said now I was wrong. You know, uh, it's rice without the without the eye. Um, take right. take the ice out of it. But anyway, uh, if we if we ice, whether it's an acute injury like a sprained ankle or post strength training. Um, we are going to, I don't want to say mitigate, but we're going to extend the adaptation process, right? The, we're going to make it longer than, right. Yeah, so yeah. that, that inflammation, all that damage that we caused and all that blood rushing to that area, um, is, is the start of, of the adaptation of the recovery process. So if we ice that area and you cause uh, vasoconstriction, um, you just delay the process. Exactly. You're just extending the adaptation process. Um, so, but if you do the opposite, right? So crazy thought, like I, my son, he sprained his ankle. I said, listen, buddy, put it in, put it in some hot water. Um, keep moving it as much as possible. Right. You know, that's with, within, uh, within reason and you can manage the pain or it's not too painful. You're going to come back faster. And of course, you know, he said, what? And then, you know, the trainer said, what? And I mean, that's, that's the crazy part. Is that like some of these athletic trainers, it, they just are so out of touch with like. Well, it's just, it's just the continuing education part that I don't get where if you're in this industry, whether it's strength and conditioning or especially youth athlete performance, you know, whether, you know, it's high school or collegiate level, even middle school level, where there's so many kids that potentially are getting injured and that practitioner isn't staying up to date with the current research and aren't realizing that rice isn't technically up to date, like the, obviously that the doctor came back and refuted what he said, like you're doing more, more harm than good sometimes. And if you're staying up to date on these things, that's, <laughs> it's going to allow that kid to be able to get back onto the court two games earlier. And that's huge because there's no guarantee nowadays with COVID and how everything's, you know, all of a sudden, you know, if like two kids end up having COVID, they can't play the next game. And that's the whole season. It was like one of my, one of yeah. my younger, one of my uh, younger clients, he's a soccer player, only had six games. Yeah six games this year Terrible. and you know and then there were seniors and whatnot that never got to play and so like the athletic trainer plays such a big role if these kids are injured or even a physical therapist if they're not sitting up on top of the literature to get these kids back to play yeah or back to sport yeah you know you're ruining a complete experience well and, and you are and they just get i don't know i don't want to go on a ramp but it's it's the fact that you have and it's like this this mindset and you used to see it in strength conditioning um, it was just like, if I, if I adhered to one methodology, I'm not listening to anybody else. I don't give a shit. Like what you say, you're wrong. And, you know, the idea that you can't even have a conversation or, you know, and it goes back to this conversation we had a little while ago on, on a, a prior podcast about people working together and being able to have conversations about things. Um, but you have some of these old school, not even old school. I mean, the athletic trainer at this particular high school is a young kid just out of school and, you know, everything is hammering with ice as soon as something happens. Um, and the physical therapy or, or the exercises they give the athletes, like 
speaking frankly, I would not give to any of these athletes. You know, if the goal is functionality and getting them back on the court or on the field, yeah, there's a time where yeah, you need to do the 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 little kind of isolated movements to get them moving. But like the sooner we can get them back on their feet and integrating that isolated movement into full body movement is going to translate onto the field much more efficiently and effectively um, is going to, to, to make that athlete much more resilient and get them on the field quicker. Well, it's the same, it's the same thing that we see in the floor, you know, on the floor here, let's say somebody comes from out, you know, from a different gym joins and they have lower back pain. And then they first question I always ask is, what have you been doing for it? Well, I haven't been doing anything for it. Right. All right. Well, we have to start doing something for it because otherwise we just keep, you know, we just maintain this bandaid that's been over this injury for a while and you're never going to get better. And so like, so when you look at, you know, maybe let's say after I'll, I'll, I'll assess their, their hip hinge patterns and they've been taught incorrectly and they're just leaning forward or they squat or, you know, like <clears throat> one of the easiest indicators of whether or not somebody knows a hip hinge is just looking at their kettlebell swing. Yeah. And it's like immediately they squat and they weren't taught, taught the right way. And inevitably those are majority of the people that end up squatting were the people that were complaining about back pain. Yeah. And it, it's so like you see it in like the general population in the in scene out here on the floor is that if we could correct patterns, that's one of the easiest ways for us to be able to mitigate injury. Yeah. Obviously, like if the volume's too much, all that stuff could happen. Um, but like in terms of like if an injury does occur, like you're saying, you know, you know, adding heat or adding that, you know, like that 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 hot exposure is huge. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, if it's like a tear or if it's a break, that's completely different. But like, yeah. you know, like, but if you're talking about like ligamentous or like tendon related stuff, for Dude, sure, that is an awesome word. Ligamentous. <laughs> Ligamentous. Um, yeah, yeah. You certainly have to understand the school. Well, that's the other thing, right? It's like, hey, it's not – we don't dive into what the mechanism of injury is. It's just, oh, you you know, this, here's ice. This, here's ice. This, here's ice. Right. And so it's almost like lazy from a, from a practitioner perspective of just saying, here's ice, so. here's ice, here's ice, here's ice. It's no different than when somebody comes into the, the a gym and a person says, oh, my knee hurts or my back hurts when I do A, B, or C. And for me to, or even uh, when people use the same cues over and over and over again when they're trying to teach movement and the athlete doesn't comprehend what you're saying. So instead of assessing it and saying, okay, they're not getting this cue, let me use something different, something that's exclusive to that individual. I just keep saying the same things over and over again. Instead of looking at the athlete, talking with them, understanding what they're understanding and what they're not understanding, and then giving them well, things it's like that they need. The laziness, the laziness side, I see it like 100% synonymous with uh, like a coach using a ring row as a substitute sure. for the pull-up. And then the person, you know, the athlete has been dying to get a pull-up and all they've been doing is ring rows. Like, I'm sorry, you're not going to get better at that. Right. We have to expose you to the actual, right. the actual stimulus. And like, how do we go about that and progress you the right way? And like you're saying is part of like the injury uh, recovery process of the hot exposure, you know, like the acute phase, like that, you know, that first week, you know, three or four days, um, like how could we get them back and exposed to the same patterns that they see in sport or in, or, you know, in their workouts yeah. and be able to integrate it in a way to where they're able to keep progressing without just throwing a bunch of volume at them. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too, a lot of times the answers are, you just shouldn't do that anymore. Oh God. The, the worst thing, the worst thing in the world that I can't stand is when like, uh, somebody will come on in and the doctor said, and they, they, whoever the doctor was would say, I need you to rest for three weeks or four weeks. 
in like the worst thing you could do after about three, four days of like when the inflammatory process and everything have like not, not necessarily subsided, but have, have gone, gone its course is that you continue to rest. Like movement cures, like, you know, motion is lotion. I hate that. I hate that phrase. I can't believe I just said that, <laughs> but, but like blood flow and like the vasodilation and getting new nutrients to the, uh, to the affected body parts and whatnot, that's massive. And you have to continue to move through that because from a psychological component, talk about one of the easiest ways to take the wind out of your sails is to stop moving. If somebody's been very consistent or like, especially if somebody off the street is really trying to lose weight and gain, gain control of their health and they get injured and all of a sudden they take a week off and their plans completely out the window, their motivations out the window, that person's going to revert. Oh yeah. And I hate to say it, but that person will revert. And so to have somebody in their bullpen to pull them aside and give them direction and say like this initial plan that you had, it was great to get you started, but man, we have to have plan two ready to go. We have to have plan three potentially ready to go because that's how we're, you know, everything's kind of ebb and flow. We have to be able to, you know, if something happens, great. We have to respond to it and keep moving. Otherwise you're going to back and way back to square one and even worse than when, when you were injured. This podcast is powered by Black Flag Athletics, home of Black Flag Fitness, Black Flag Compete, and Black Flag Remote Programming. Everything and anything you would want for your fitness needs, Black Flag is the place for it. You can check us out, find any information you want at blackflagfam.com. That's blackflagfam.com. Some of the best success I've had personally with people who have had muscle tears um, is literally within days getting them back to doing the exact same thing that they were doing that created the muscle tear. So if you had a pec, pec tear, um, getting them just bench pressing against air, right? So they're just going through the range of motion and then Unweighted, gradually, right. yep, and yeah. then gradually then a PVC, then moving them up. Um, and, and there has been incidences and in, in, um, you know of people doing that, and be, but because of that exactly, right? Is they're moving instead of sitting there. And then all the, the supporting structures and the muscular gets super tight. You lose range of motion and now you're all the way, you get scar tissue and now you're back. Now, um, obviously if there's surgical intervention or things like right. that, but. Well, but and, 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 and you know, not to cut you off, beast, but, but like surgical in- intervention, I, I forget the exact statistic, but it's anywhere from 50 to 60% that like, that there's an efficacy of 50 to 60% that it actually works. Right. It has to be. And, and that's crazy to think that let's say somebody does have a terror, you know, there's, there's a break and they have to go in and do work. The fact that it's only 50 to 60% of all surgeries actually are um, uh, advantageous for that person goes to show you that it's not just surgery that you should be focusing on as like it's so like, all right, hey, I got had surgery, I should feel amazing. No, there, you have to do the work. There has to be, a, again, a plan afterwards. Let's say your physical therapist has you, you know, focus on X amount of exercises, you're doing it multiple times a week, and let's say you start to feel better. Great. That means the surgery was uh, was successful and your recovery is successful. But all of a sudden, let's say like a month later, you start to feel the same exact symptoms. Well, what ended up happening? You stopped doing the maintenance exercise that got you there. Yeah. You know? And so like, I think it's important that if you do experience an injury of, you know, like a tear and got, you know, knock on wood, that doesn't happen to you, the listener, but you have to maintain doing the little exercise and little things that supplement your overall training plan, even when you feel good. That is wildly, wildly important because, again, you could end up back at square one or at least 
uh, if those maintenance exercises uh, are boring to you, talk with a strength coach to be able to create more variety and more uh, challenge to that. So it's still part of your program uh, and to be able to integrate it in a fun way that you enjoy. But that's that's an easy way to be able to keep these old injuries at bay because you don't want something that, that keeps sneaking up on you, especially like if you're looking at tendinopathies or tendinitises. It's, you know, you, you see it in, in youth athletes all the time. Like Tom and I, we were talking about the other day, um, a volleyball team, let's say that they jump, you know, 200 plus times in practice. It's, it's in it, it, it's in crane. It's, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. But then, the, but they do it multiple times a week. And then by the time the game, you know, the game shows up and they all have jumpers knee. And so basically if they have, you know, uh, what, what you call, uh, um, let, let's say like patellar tendonitis or, uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the term, but like, let's say, you know, these, these athletes are exposed to such high volume, like again, for us to be able to have intervention with a strength coach or a qualified PT to be able to talk with the coach and be able to reduce the amount of volume, like a good minimum effective dose. Like, Hey, like this is, this is what we're trying to get out of practice. This is the goal. How could we be able to get them prepared for the game and make, make sure that they're feeling good? Because the last thing you want at 14, 15 years old is to have tendonitis and then that lasts oh. with you, and especially, especially as you enter in college and like the rest of your life, if you don't have, you know, a set volume and a set amount of exercises that you could go to and keep in your arsenal to keep these things at bay, it's really important. Well, it's amazing. Uh, and it's a good segue into youth athletics because I am fortunate enough to work with some youth athletes uh, at the high school level. Um, so when they get to college, Everything, because there's money involved, right? Uh, everything changes, right? They manage volumes. They manage intensities. And they have software in place, wearables that these kids will wear that will show you, speaking of volleyball, will show you how many times they jump, what the power output of each jump is, so on and so forth. And then they can they manage that. High school athletes, there's there's none of that. It's all volunteer based. Uh, and, and so the idea where I was like, I remember speaking with with the volleyball coach, and I said, "Hey, do you do you need anything to manage jumps?" And it was like, "What are you talking about?" I can tell you that uh, with between Jo volleyball and high in, in the high school season, um, the amount of stress fracture or not stress fractures, but the amount of shin splints, right. uh, patellar tendonitis, and and back issues. All 100% related to chronic jumping uh, with probably no progression into it it is outrageous. And the other thing too is, and the thing that's the most frustrating as a performance coach is a lot of the coaches that I'm around uh, and work with, they forget the objective, Right. And even, 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 even collegiate coaches to assert, they forget the objective. And I think that they, they, they also get the disciplinary part too, where it's like, oh, Hey, like, you know, somebody messed up oh, in practice. Dude. And, and then all of a sudden they're spending a half hour the day before a game running suicide. Dude, the idea of fitness, uh, as a punishment. Oh, it's brutal. It's infuriating. Right. The idea of like burpees as a punishment or running sprints as a punishment is infuriating to me. Um, but like lo- they lose the perspective that the goal is optimized performance on game day. That's the only thing that matters. Right. Is that right? Is, it's the wins and losses. The kids are having fun. That they're winning. They're having successful. They're successful, and the team's playing well. It's not even about fun. Like as you get to a higher level, and you know this, it's not about fun anymore. It is about wins and losses. Right. Right. Um, and some feelings will get hurt, and my kids should play and shouldn't play, and. And all these types of things, but it's about wins and losses. And 
Um, so from a strength coach perspective and from a coach's perspective, the goal is how can we optimize performance? And if, if I'm not managing jump counts, if I'm not managing, uh, sprint counts uh, during practice, if I'm not managing overall volume and intensities in the weight room, then there's no way that I can efficiently and effectively uh, optimize performance on game day. And all of that goes full circle back into injury. Pre and injury prevention is a term that's kind of thrown out there. Um, it's so loose. Right. But then, so I don't want to say prevent injuries, but I, I do want to say that all of it plays a role in allowing athletes and general population, fitness enthusiasts, people are just looking to optimize, whether it's optimized performance or optimized living. I mean, it all is for, and it all plays a role. And people talk about it in terms of like stress, which it's becoming people, you know, stretch, stress again is another one of those kind of catchwords that's out there. Loose term. And I talk with, about with people that I work with is stress isn't just working out. Stress isn't just lack of sleep. Stress isn't just a hard day at work. The body sees it all the same way. And so the mindset has to be like, what am I doing with all these things to, to live the most effective life possible? And it's all about creating a system that allows you to live the most optimal way possible, whether it's being out in everyday life and just feeling good and, and loving what you're doing or working with youth athletes who are trying. And again, if I'm doing everything to optimize performance, that means I'm optimizing my time practicing. So, and it's just this big cyclical thing where we, you know, if you're optimizing time practicing, you're optimizing time in the weight room, then you're optimizing performance. And far too often I've seen high school strength coaches, especially like in season, hammer these kids into the ground because of ego or because right. this is the way I've always done it. And again, taking this all the way back to the start of our conversation, not looking at what's actually going on, assessing it, and then amending it as needed so we can keep moving in the right direction, right? The goal should always be to make progress, right? And not regress. But so often you see teams, especially and I know I keep bringing this back to the athletic side of things, but you see teams as the season goes on, they wear down. Regress, injury yeah. rates higher. And so what your goal is always as, especially like when I look at high school kids moving into like the playoffs, the goal is always to peak for peak. the playoffs. Especially nowadays, a lot of these sports, you don't even have to qualify to get into the playoffs. You just get into the dance no matter what. Right. If the goal is winning state championships or to, to be at the best, the top of the top of the mountain, then the goal has always got to be we should get stronger as the season goes. So now it's not the peak the first week of the season. It's the peak in the 12th week of the season, the 15th week of the season when we're playing for the state championships. Um, you know, so, I mean, all, all you want is a place at the table from that perspective. But your your goal as a strength coach or whatever is to make sure that happens. And hopefully you're in a system where you can work well with the coaches. But the problem is right. there's just too much goddamn ego involved. And now – you know, the head coach doesn't want to talk to the strength coach. The strength coach doesn't want to talk to the trainer, you know, and right. all these things versus, again, when you get to the higher levels. I mean, it all is. It's all seamless. Everybody's everybody communicating. Everybody works together. Everybody's everybody works together because the strength coach knows if the head coach is gone, right, then he's probably out of a job and vice versa. You know, the, 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 the head coach knows that if the strength coach isn't doing what he's supposed to do, I'm not going to have great teams. So, 
Right. Anyway, that was a long. I love that <laughs> diatribe about nothingness. No, I love it. I love it. And the way that we started off the conversation was about coal exposure. Mm. And then we went to the inflammatory processes post exercise and post, and you know, and you know, uh, the acute phase of, uh, you know, after the injury occurred and you know, how, how all this kind of like plays out and how all of this kind of wraps in together. I think it's just important that our protocols and what's been, what's been preached in the past have changed and the research is always changing. And yeah. that's really important to know because again, as you know, for athletic trainers, you know, even just for like people coming into the gym, I think it's important that they know what's new and what's, uh, what's, I, what, what would be the word? What's new and then also what they should be able to do conveniently on their own terms. Like if somebody comes home after a workout and they feel run down just because the volume was higher, like what are ways that they're able to optimize their recovery yeah. and to be able to continue to optimize their quality of life. And you're talking about stress there at the end and stress, uh, stress is such a, like Tom was saying, it, it, workout stress, you know, people in, in like textbooks will say there's distress and there's you stress, mm -hmm. but again, no matter what, it's still stress. And so for you to be able to find like this, your, your, uh, balance of stress in your life, like a, a good hormesis, medium. hormesis. I love that. Um, what a word. There you go. Yeah. I had what you had hormesis today. And then I had uh, uh, ligamentous words of the day, <laughs> words of the day. Um, I just think it's important that everybody knows that they should have options to be able to optimize their recovery and optimize their quality of life. Um, the one last thing I'll say, you were because you were talking about how do we optimize, you know, life as we know it from a general population perspective. I was just finishing up a book, The Slight Edge. I'm about to start reading um, Matthew McConaughey's new book, uh, Green Light. Nice, right? I'm excited about it's that. Good, it's interesting. Um, there was this guy who researched 500, uh, 500 people at the end of his career who have lived the longest or who are at like the, you know, the 500 longest living people. And he just interviewed them and he mm -hmm. wanted to know, and he studied them and exercise was obviously a part of like the top 12 criteria that met the longest living life. Um, but it was a small factor. What, what was actually more attributed to it was that each of those people, uh, followed or had faith or, you know, had, you know, belief in something like a higher mm -hmm. entity. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it was the relationships, it was like who they were surrounding themselves with that ended up mm -hmm. allowing them to be able to live longer. And I thought that was really, really interesting um, and why a community like the one that we have here at Black Flag is so important because if you're around people that share similar goals and similar beliefs, that in itself is going to allow you to be able to, one, stay accountable, two, be able to get you to live longer, uh, and three, just give you the social awareness and the social uh, health that most other people wouldn't be able to get at say like a planet fitness or, you know, remotely on their own. Um, and so, you know, kind of like bring this all back in the, the community part, the, the faith part is so big from an injury side, because again, uh, if you fall away from that, let's say, you know, let's say you get injured and you go away from your gym and you stop working out again, we were talking about earlier, the side effects and the, the negatives of you just resting, you have to stay integrated into the community. You have to stay integrated with it because as soon as you pull yourself away from it, you're you're absolutely decreasing immediately, um, uh, or I should say you're increasing the window of how long the injury could take for you to be able to recover from, or even just like the recovery processes, recovery processes of whatever you're experiencing. So that's just really important to note. Again, 
like who you're around and the relationships you have is one of the biggest indicators of living long. And I think that's something that we've built here at Black Flag that is obviously evident in the people that have been here for so long. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the people that have been here for so long have a very high quality of life. Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent, man. Social interaction is such a huge aspect of a high quality of life. And that's one of the things when I think about like the trends of the fitness industry, I, that's why I think, and I'm, I'm probably get sued for saying this, but that's why I think stuff like the mirror, stuff like Peloton, like on the surface, they look great, but I think long-term they're bullshit, right? Because you eliminate a huge facet of what makes living great. Right. And, you know, the relationships that, and this was brought up to me a while back by somebody that they went, they went on a, a big group vacation. Everybody went and it was all people who had met who people, they didn't know each other five, seven, eight years ago. They met them all by being part of this community or the right. you know community that we have at Black Flag. And, um, and I was like, holy shit. Like, so this is way bigger than fitness, right? This right. is, this is way bigger than almost anything. These are relationships that people have that are going to have uh, positive relationships they're going to have for the rest of their life based off of the environment that we created. And the lifestyle that- Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so like when you look at these things that seem to always be pulling people further apart, further apart, further apart, uh, I always laugh. Every once in a while, people will call me or text me or grab me in person. They say, I'm building a home gym. What should I get? And I'm like, don't. Yeah. You know? Um, and then that's like, I think that's important for you to, I mean, obviously it's easy for us to say as gym owners, but for it's, uh, but it's also unbiased, like unbiased. The reason being is that it, you're going to use it for two weeks and then, and then it just collects dust and then I, you're going to be looking to try to sell. I don't know what the statistics are, but it would be interesting to see how many people have home gyms and still have gym memberships. Right. Right. Uh, and I mean, I, I personally experienced it during COVID, right? Like I have, a, I have a nice little garage spread at the house. It was so goddamn hard to walk into the garage, to walk like 10 steps to do a workout. I would have rather any day of the drove week, to the gym. drove five minutes or 10 minutes to the gym just to work out around people and to have some social interaction. Um, I just think it's such a critical component, like you said, of healthy aging, healthy fitnessing, all of it. Um, yeah. I love it. I agree. I it. It's it's awesome. Let, let's wrap that up right there. We'll, wrap it up. We'll, put a bow we'll, on yeah, it. Yeah, put a bow on it. <laughs> I love it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Strong Talk powered by Black Flag Athletics in Avon, Ohio. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> um, you guys are the best. Thank you for listening. As always, make sure if you're on Spotify to follow, if you are on iTunes to subscribe, and then leave us a review. The reviews are huge because that's how we uh, share the word. And that's how, I mean, obviously we all know sharing is caring, but that's how we develop this thing into what we want it to be. So guys, thank you so much. Have an awesome week. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Strong Talk Podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. This allows us to share our conversations with more people and positively influence our fitness communities. If there are any topics you want to hear from us, drop us a message on Instagram at Coach Tom Rini, that's R-I-N-I, or at Peter Nelson II, and we can take a deep dive. Again, thank you for listening and continue to be better.